Um, so we are in a series on Kingdom Flip, um, and we're continuing with that uh, with that theme. And today we're going to be looking at uh, at community um, and Pentecost and a number of other bits and pieces. Now, if you read any books on preaching a sermon, most of them say summarize the whole sermon in a sentence or two. That's what I'm going to do. We, as the redeemed people of God, are a new community. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That is, we are justified through faith alone, in the cross-wrought saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Receiving his Holy Spirit by faith alone, and by faith alone becoming sons of God and heirs with Christ. The body of Christ, where he is the head. That's it. That's all this sermon is about. So, bye. <laughs> no, no, we'll dig a bit deeper. We'll dig a bit deeper. We're going to be looking at two main uh, scriptures today. Um, we're going to head towards Galatians 3, 23 to 29, but we're going to start off, because it's Pentecost celebration, we're going to start off in Acts 2, 1 to 13. Um, but before we do that, let's just flip forward, because we're all talking about kingdom flip. So let's flip forward to Galatians 3.28 and just read a little bit. There we go. Do you know what? It's really easy to read it there. It's dreadful reading it up there. So Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I have a question for you. Who here is a Jew? Anybody? Hand up. One. Who here is a Gentile? Good, yeah. Who here is a slave? Oh, some very, some very cute people in the audience here, uh, in the congregation here. Who here is free? Mm. Who here is male? That's an easy one, guys. Come on. Who here is female? Interesting. Everybody put their hands up at some point. Um, but hang on a minute. Didn't it say there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female? Something's a bit screwy somewhere. We'll come back to that. Let's move on, or move back. We're going to flip back again now to our Acts 2, 1 to 13. And I'm going to read it out of the Bible because I can see that. I can't see it up there. 
So what's happened is Jesus has paid for our sins on the cross. He's died on the cross. He's been buried in the grave. Been there for three, th- three years, three days. He's come back from the dead. He's appeared over a period of 40 days to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And then he went up to heaven. And he's told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is now happening 10 days later at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. That's the believing disciples. Not just the 12, but those whom Jesus had gathered Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, What are these men? Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Sorry, mouth dried up. How then is it that each of us hears him in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Thought they were drunk. Why does Luke put that list of nations in here? I mean, it's kind of, yeah, kind of every nation under heaven, fair enough. But yeah, why list them all out? And let's have a quick look. Oh, we can do something here because my wife's not here today. She's not feeling very well. She's not here today. So I can put a map up. <laughs> my home group will understand that little interlude there so let's go on to the next slide and look at the map there we go so all these people have come from all these areas into jerusalem they're jews they've been converted to judaism um and they're hearing disciples proclaim the wonders of god in their own language and Luke specifically says, now 
there were God-fearing men from every nation under heaven. Really? North American Indians aren't mentioned. China's not mentioned. What's Luke driving at here? What is the kingdom of God coming into this space through the Holy Spirit? What's he flipping in this? And to understand it, we need to go all the way back, some 2,000 years, um, to Genesis chapter 10, 11, and 12. In chapter 10, there's a thing called the Table of Nations. And I'm not going to read it out because it's a whole chapter. But what happens is Moses, or whoever wrote this book, um, lists all the descendants from Noah. So there's been a big flood. Noah survived the flood with his three sons, his wife and their three wives, and the whole of mankind is repopulated from that group of people. And the Table of Nations goes on to list the descendants of uh, Noah up to the time of Babel, the Tower of Babel. Um, And it says, these are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within the nations nations from their nations for from these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood and what luke is trying to point out is actually we're all descended from this table of nations this listing of nations that luke does kind of mimics the table of nations that's been uh, written in in genesis 10 Because then at the Tower of Babel, sorry, prior to the Tower of Babel, this group of nations were actually one nation. They were one people. If you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, all these people, one people, they had one language. And God came down and put division between them. He divided them up, stopped them understanding each other's language. He gave them different language, different ways of thinking, and all the nations were divided up. Suddenly there was no single community on the earth. It was lots of different communities. And then God, almost immediately after this, identified Abraham. And he said to Abram, come out of the nation you're in because I'm going to make you a new nation. And from Abraham, the Jewish nation was born through his descendants. Had to get to Jacob before, you know, the 12 sons were born. Um, And the the nation of, of Israel was conceived. So we had a split at that point. We had a special nation that was God's nation the Jewish nation. They had the oracles of God. They had the laws of God. They had the access to God. 
all the other nations didn't have that. They had to come into the Jewish nation to access God. But here at Pentecost, God flips that on its head. And he says, no more. No more is there going to be one special nation that everybody has to work through to come to me. Now I'm going to put my presence in every nation through a new people, through a new community. A community that will spread the good news of the salvation that Jesus wrought on the cross. The kingdom of God has come and is coming because it's a process. We're in the kingdom of God and yet the fullness of that kingdom is still to be realized both in our, in our lives and when we get to heaven. It's coming and it flips the prevailing national community divisions on their proverbial head. No longer are the oracles and laws and the promised salvation to be accessed through the custodian of the oracles and the law, the Jews. It's open to everyone. Faith in one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died to pay for, for the sins of the whole world is what the new community is based on. And it's right here at Pentecost that this starts. And it's something to be celebrated. Woohoo! It really is something to be celebrated. Woohoo! Because what happened at Pentecost immediately drew believers from every nation. They were there. They saw what happened at Pentecost. They were witness to, and they took that witness back to the nations that they had come from. The account goes on. Peter tries to explain. Well, he does explain, and but we can't get into it. But I want to pick up a, just a couple of things. He goes on and says what had happened in Jerusalem. People had seen this. They'd seen uh, uh, Jesus uh, crucified on the cross. And he says to them, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we all are witnesses to the fact. 
He's been exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And he finishes, well, almost finishes by saying, "Believe, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will, not you might, or you could, yeah, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Sorry. I'll re- re- the promise is for you and your children and for all who are for, far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Hands up if you're in that group. Yeah, absolutely. We are all in that group. The Holy Spirit has been promised to us. We are part of that new community that the Holy Spirit instigated at Pentecost. Salvation is now, and in fact, in hindsight, has always been all about faith in the Lord Jesus, the promised Redeemer. Faith in the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Dying in our place to pay for our sins. Faith that in him we are justified and redeemed from the wrath of God. And faith that in him we are and will be sanctified for eternal life in the kingdom. This faith acknowledges that nothing we have done, nothing we will do, and nothing we could do is anyway influential in producing our salvation and God's acceptance of us which is a complete flip from what the Jews would preach. The Jews would preach that you had to do all these ritual things, you had to sacrifice all of this in this way, um, and um, you had to do, if you were a Jewish man, you had to uh, have something cut off. And that's how you became a follower of God prior to Pentecost. The Holy Spirit flips that and says, no, it's all about faith. With me so far? So we're going to flip. We're going to flip. We're going to fast forward. Flipping and fast-forwarding all over the place. We're going to fast-forward a few years um, where these pockets of the new community 
are being established in various gentle nations. Gentle? Gentile. Gentile. <laughs> they weren't very gentile, the nations. Gentle, the nations. They were gentile nations. Um, and one of the places that this pocket of the new community had become established was in a place called Galatia. Um, and Paul writes to the Galatians. And we're going to read it. So, in Galatians 3, and we're going to read um, 23 to 29. Hopefully you can see it. I can't. Uh, here we go. And this is what Paul says. Before this faith came, he's just been talking about the faith, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed, so that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. Greek, Gentile means the same thing in the scriptures. Slave or free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now we need to understand why Paul's writing that. The background to this passage is that Paul established the church at Corinth, um, the new kingdom community there. And um, what was happening was, what ha he left, he established the church, yeah, and then he left and went on his travels and carried on his missionary journey. And some supposed, supposed Christians from Jerusalem turned up. And they were of a kind of a particular Jewish persuasion that had come into the church. And they had started preaching in Galatia um, a distorted gospel. One that said, basically, because Christians, the Christian sect, as they called it at the time, yeah, had sprung from Judaism, in order to be truly a truly saved Christian, one had to ad identify as a Jew, obeying all the precepts, precepts of the Jewish law not just those associated with right living, but those associated with both Jewish and Levitical priestly cultural identity and worship, including, you guessed it, circumcision. And the Galatians were kind of going, mm, not sure about this. Is this right? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And they kind of write to Paul and go, 
or some people write to Paul and say, do you know, this has really crept into the church and people are following it and they're starting to obey all the laws of, 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 the, of the Jewish. Are we a new community or are we actually in the Jewish community? What's going on? And that's why Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. And he was at pains in the first three chapters, two chapters, to point out that the kingdom of God is not about observing the Jewish customs so that the Gentile is absorbed into the Jewish community. It is all about, all about the community of faith who trust in Jesus Christ and his salvation wrought on the cross. A community that infiltrates into and supersedes both Jewish and Gentile nation, national. Jewish and Gentile national identity. Where have we got to on the slides? Next slide, please. And Paul really wants to make a point about this. And he actually says, this is in the old NIV, by the way. It's a rather battered old NIV. It has changed slightly. But it says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. We're no longer under the law. The law doesn't count anymore. What do we think of that? So, mm, thou shalt not kill is one of the laws. Does that still count? Don't commit adultery is one of the laws. Does that still count? So is Paul saying all the laws don't count anymore. We can make up our laws as we go along. What's he driving at when he says we are no longer under the supervision of the law? Because previously, what he said previously in, in chapter 3 was this. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live by faith. And what Paul's driving at here is not that we can throw all the laws out. That we're not, we don't need to abide by them anymore. What he's saying is abiding by those laws counts for nothing. You cannot earn your way into the kingdom of God by abiding by the law. It just doesn't work. Because the law is flawed. And this is where it's flawed. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But there isn't a law that imparts life. Only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ imparts life.
No law does. And what Paul's driving at here is, look, the law's important, but it doesn't bring salvation. Faith is the thing that brings salvation. You don't do the law and get salvation. You get salvation and do the law. Yeah? And it's the law that is common law. The Jews had all sorts of laws. Um, they had laws that would, uh, uh, for agriculture, how to grow stuff well. They had laws on how to live well. They had laws on hygiene. They had laws on what to eat. They had laws on priestly sacrifice and worship, the way to, to, to sacrifice stuff and to worship God. And they had cultural identity laws, like circumcision. And it's the cultural identity laws and the priestly sacrifice laws that Paul is really driving at here. They're not the things that get you to salvation. The hygienic laws, the agricultural laws, you kind of go, well, yeah, they wouldn't get you to salvation. But everybody was thinking that these other ones did, and they don't. But the laws that God gives us on how to live, and they're summarized in the Ten Commandments and the top two. Top two commandments, come on. Pop quiz. And top two commandments, that's it. Everything else hangs off of those two laws. All the other laws. Don't commit murder. Have only one God before me. Have no God before me. I am one God. Have no God before me. Don't commit adultery. Don't thieve. Don't blaspheme. Don't give false witness. Don't lie. Everything else comes under that. Now, I have heard it. People say, well, God was a law. Jesus was a lawbreaker, wasn't he? He broke all sorts of laws. Anybody heard that? Anybody agree with it? The laws that Jesus didn't abide by were the ones that the priests and the Pharisees and the Levites had added to the law of God. And in so doing, they broke the law of God that says, don't add anything to this. <laughs> the law of God said, don't add anything to this and don't take anything away from it. And they added books of rules and regulations. And Jesus kind of went, no, they don't fit with the law of God. So I'm not going to obey them. And he absolutely obeyed the laws of God. Totally. 100%. The problem is, if he hadn't, then he would have been a sinner just like me and you. And there's no way he could have bought our salvation if he had been that man. And he wasn't. Because he purchased us out from the slavery of sin. And therefore he had to be perfect. He obeyed God's law absolutely perfectly. 
Um, so, I've lost track of time, but never mind. So that's the law element of the verse that we've just looked at. But what about this business about, yeah, there's no, there's no Jew, there's no, there's no Gentile, there's no free, there's no slave, there's no male, there's no female. What, what's, what's Paul driving at there? The three antithesis as they are. Can we pull up the next slide, please? Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Paul is drawing on a prayer that every pious Jewish male would pray daily. And this is it. Next slide. I thank you, God, that I was not made a Gentile or a slave or a woman. Why would a pious man, a Jewish man, pray that daily? The reason he prayed it was because those persons were debarred from certain religious privileges under the Jewish law. And the man is going, oh, I'm so glad I can fully engage with what God has for me. I can fully engage with the temple. I can fully engage with the sacrifice. I can fully come to God. I'm not debarred in any way. And what Paul and, and the problem was is that these Jewish people coming to Galatia were trying to reinstigate this and say, oh no, 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 no. If if, if you're a slave, you're yeah, you, you don't get to be everything that a free man is. You know, if you're actually a Gentile, you've got to become a Jew to get everything. And um, and sorry, but yeah, well, women, they're kind of a little bit substandard to men, so you don't get everything. And Paul's saying, no, what rubbish, total tosh. In the new kingdom, in the new community of God, in the new kingdom of God that has been instigated by the Holy Spirit that has been poured out on who? Men and women of every nation, free and slave. <laughs> it's already said it. You know? The Holy Spirit has been poured out on everyone. There is no distinction. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female in the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Now the problem is, being human, we can even mess that up. Our culture has messed that up grandly. Yeah, everybody's equal. Kind of, yeah, everybody's the same. Really? Diversity and inclusion. I'm a diversity and inclusion champion at my work, and it really isn't diverse and inclusion. Because if it doesn't fit with what they think diversity and inclusion is, then it's not diversity and inclusion. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 
So is that what Paul is actually saying? Look, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, no female. You know, we're, and the church went on to, to really promote this in the gospel. I can never say the word, Gnostics. Starts with a G, it always throws me, but you pronounce it with an N. The Gnosticism um, really took hold of this. They would preach that there is no man or woman. We are now in God's kingdom and in an androgynous state. We've gone back to that perfect androgynous state because we're in God's kingdom. And that's not what it means. Because it doesn't say there is no man and no woman. It says there's no man and no female. The distinction, yeah. Oh, excuse me. The, it's talking about the general relationship between the sexes. That in the old covenant, in the old community, disparred one over the other. It is not talking about the relationship between husband and wife or male and female. I can see men and women here. I'm sorry, you are here. You are men and women. Our culture would say, actually, you can choose what you want to be. You can be a man or you can be a woman. You can be a grapefruit, whatever you fancy. Yeah, you choose your identity. Paul's not saying that at all. He's saying, no, in Christ, you have an identity. You have an identity as a Jew. You have an identity as a Gentile. You have an identity as a slave. You have an identity as a freeman. You have an identity as a male. You have an identity as a female. But it makes no difference to your salvation. None. Because all of those things, everyone is included. So, I think what Paul's really saying, because the kingdom is all about and and also, or both and. The kingdom, whenever you read about the kingdom, it's always, the kingdom is not yet, and it's here. Hang on, which is it? Well, it's both. The kingdom is both here now and not yet. Our salvation is secured, and yet we've still got to realize it because we're working through it. Yeah, our justification is both secured and is still being secured. Yeah. We live here in the here and now, but we have a home with Christ in the future. We walk on this earth, we also walk with Christ in the heavenly places. The kingdom of God is all about and and also, or both and. And therefore what Paul really is saying here is, you are both Jew and Gentile. You are both slave and free. You are both male and female. And let me unpack that a little bit. How can he say you are both Jew and Gentile? Hand up Gentiles here. Who's a Gentile? Yep, you're Gentiles because you're not born of the Jewish nation. 
but you're also Jews. Jesus was a Jew, absolutely 100% Jew. If he hadn't have been, he could not have fulfilled all the prophecy about him. You are joined together with Christ. You are heirs with Christ. You are sons of the living God. You are brothers. So you are a Jew because you inherit the Jewishness that Jesus had. Because we inherit, we are co-heirs with him. So in the spiritual realm, God looks at you and goes, Jew, oh, and Gentile. What about this slave and free? Hand up, who is a slave here? Hand up, who is a free here? We have been freed from the slavery to sin. That's what Jesus did for us. Freed from having to sin. We can now choose whether we sin or not. Prior to our salvation, it kind of happened by default. Yeah, we couldn't help it. Because that was our nature. But we've been given a new nature that is still warring with our old nature, but we've got that new nature. And we can choose it. We can choose to operate in that new nature. And we can choose to be free of sinning. We are free. And the reason we're free is because we're slaves. We're slaves to Jesus. We are servants of the living God. He is our king. We are in submission under him. It's our very slavery to Jesus that makes us free. about this male and female? How can we both be male and female without falling into this sort of soup of androgynism? You know, there is no male or female. We are both male and female because every single one of you is a son of the living God. And a son by their nature is male. Every single one of you. And every single one of you is the bride of Christ. And by, na- by definition, a bride is female. So, put your hands up again. Who's male? Who's female? Yes. It's the and also of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit has flipped everything on its head when it comes to the kingdom. There is now no division anywhere. Not only is there no division, but there's oneness as well. We are completely one with each other. We are the body of Christ. He is our head, and we need to act in that oneness. We need to be a company, a community of people that walk in that day by day really silly example here I hurt my thumb about a week ago I had one of those horrible hangnails on my thumb yeah pulled it off really hurt and it got infected because I was working in the garden and you know what every time I touch something with that thumb 
It wasn't just the thumb that hurt. It went right through my body. It was like, oh, that really hurts. Anybody been there? I, I was just me. <laughs> oh, that really hurts. Tiny thing. And that's what we're like as a community. When one of us hurts, or is injured, or is in need, yeah, or is suffering, we as the body suffer. And do you know what? I, this other hand helped put a plaster around my poor thumb. And I kind of started doing more stuff with this hand rather than this hand, because every time I used this hand, it hurt. So this hand became more, um, more used. And that's what happens with the body. As a body, as a community, as this new community, with no divisions in us, we support each other, we help each other, we pray for each other, we forgive each other. Yeah? Because we all mess up. Yeah? And we're there for each other. And that's what this community flip is all about. Kind of, that's where I've got to now. So, um, do you want to stand? The band wants to come back. And uh, while you do that, I'm just going to pray. So let's just open our hearts and our minds and our bodies to the living God. Um Somebody told me about a vision they had this morning when we were praying. I'm not going to say who it was because he didn't want to be uh, acknowledged. But a vision of the Holy Spirit just hovering over this place. And some people are there with their arms folded and going, no, no, don't need the Holy Spirit. And there are others that are just reaching up and going, yeah, I want me, I want me some of that. I want some of that fire that fell on Pentecost. I want to grab hold of that. I want to bring that. I want to be part of that community. I want to be part of that body of Christ. Oh, Father, as we just move into a time of open worship and, and, uh, and being in your presence, Father, I just pray your anointing on this community of your saints. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Give everyone here a heart and a mind to engage with you and to engage with one another and to really own being in community, being in your body, listening to your leadership as head of our community and head of our body. In Jesus' name, amen.